This afternoon, we confess together the Belgic Confession, Article 1, about the nature of God. Let's confess this together. We believe in the heart and confess with the mouth that there is a unique and simple spiritual being who we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, and infinite, who is wise in the overflowing source of all good things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you, for you are the great God, the one who is above all, the beginning and the end. Lord, help us to have a greater uh, comprehension and a greater sense of awe for who you are through Jesus. Please convict us, as always, about our sin, and convict us about uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel as we hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson this afternoon comes from Psalm 139, all verses. That is found on page 521 of your pew Bibles. Once again, the Word of God comes from Psalm 139. Brothers and sisters, hear God's Word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say... Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. If I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The word of God so far. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Psalm 139 is a wonderful, beautiful psalm 
that touches on many different subjects, but the one uh, we wish to address uh, this afternoon is the attribute of God's knowledge. We confess that the scriptures say God knows all things. He is omniscient. And so what we will do is look at Psalm 39 and the way in which it offers comfort to us because of God's knowledge. <clears throat> Begin. The form of Psalm 139 is an individual lament or a complaint. The complaint here is toward the end of the psalm, a little unusual. Uh, the penitent is being uh, persecuted by his enemies, yet he trusts that God will vindicate him. And the complaint at the end is really an imprecation, which I'll explain in just a moment. Uh, this is a psalm written by David. There are four par- parts to the psalm. In verses 1 through 6, David asks God to judge him in terms of his motives and thoughts. The reason for this is that he is being falsely accused by his enemies. David is confessing to God that he's done nothing wrong. Verses 7 through 12 is the second section. David takes hope in the everywhere presence of God. It doesn't matter where he goes. God is there and God knows. Verses 13 through 18, the power of God to create is linked with his comprehensive knowledge. God designs, he creates, and he is in control of a person's life. Then finally, verses 19 through 24, David laments the fact of his persecution and prays for the cursing of his enemies. The prayer uh, cursing his enemies is known as the imprecation. Uh, You've heard of the imprecatory psalms. This is one of those psalms only in part at the end. And what this means is that it is a wish for the cursing of enemies. So David here is going through a severe trial of persecution. Enemies are persecuting him. And of course, these are not just any enemies. These are the enemies of God. These are people who are defying the living God. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. But suffice it to say here, David's hope and confidence is not in mere words. It is not in what he and his army can do. David's hope and confidence is in the God who knows and can act in his behalf. And so what we'll focus on here is the comfort he and you find in a God who knows all things. David is asking God to judge him in the positive sense. Of course, not to judge him in the negative sense. Uh, David is asking to see if there's any wicked way within him. And this is a common request of those who wish to honor God. And we have to uh, hasten to add that God, or rather David, does not assume he is sinless. Rather, he is asking God to vindicate him from any conscious decision to defy God, as his enemies clearly do. So you'll notice throughout this, um, or at least at the beginning and the end of the psalm, David is comparing himself to his enemies, saying, God, look at those people. They will defy you. I will not. Search me. Help me to understand that I am free from that sort of behavior. So David's request of God on this note is a very common request in the Psalter. Note that David asks the same thing in Psalm 7. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test minds and hearts, 
O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, and it is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. These are confessions of a man who fully realizes his own sin, but relies on God to forgive him ultimately in Christ. Therefore, when he asks God to judge him according to his righteousness and integrity, he is confessing that these are the results of the grace of God within him. They are demonstrations of gratitude, not works that he would bring to God in terms of self-justification. Now this is important to note because in Psalm 139, David confesses a God who knows him comprehensively. So God knows his every action. When he walks around during the day, he sees and knows when he's sleeping at night. He knows David's actual thoughts. In fact, God knows what he is about to say before the words are formed on his lips. God's hand is always upon him. And this is not a knowledge God only has of people like great kings like David. But this is of all people, without exception. Now, it can be unnerving to think that someone knows what you are doing and thinking. I mean, that goes without saying, doesn't it? I mean, if somebody knows everything you're doing, everything you're, you're thinking, that's very unnerving. And in this modern age, it is easy to become paranoid with the advent of wiretapping, camera surveillance, computer monitoring, spy satellites, whatever they have up there. People now have extremely sophisticated means to know what you're doing and when you're doing it. And under these circumstances, it would be easy to be nervous and to feel violated when somebody's nosing around your business, especially in your head, if they could do that. But in David's case, he takes comfort in knowing that God observes and knows his thoughts and actions in the most intimate way. This is because God is good, God is righteous, and God loves him. God is looking out for him. God has his best interest in mind. So God is not nosing around, right? David doesn't confess that he's nervous or violated that God knows him. Rather, he confesses that God's knowledge is too wonderful for him. It is high and something he cannot attain. And there is comfort then in a God who is far beyond him in knowledge. In fact, as David continues, even if he wanted to get away from God in the most obscure and hidden places, he could never do it. If he were to ascend to heaven, God is there. If he were to, to go to the, the grave, to Sheol, God is there. Wherever he goes, God is not only there, he is holding him leading him in right ways. I mean, it's sort of like kids when you're really young 
You don't understand how comprehensive your parents' knowledge is and their vision is. You think you can get away from them when you hide behind the curtains. You think you're so clever and finally you found the perfect place to get away from your mom. But she sees, of course, the, the bulge and the curtains. It's, you know, she knows exactly what you're doing and where you are. This is sort of what David's saying. It's like, how silly we are to think that we could ever get away from God. Even if David could completely hide himself with darkness. To God, the darkness or night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with him. The reality of darkness and light can be expanded to include the expansive knowledge of God. God is light and the source of light, which is to say that He is perfect in knowledge and nothing, nothing is unknown to Him. Moreover, God saw David in one of the darkest places, the womb, in his mother's belly. If God saw him there, it means He created him there. And this is linked with the fact of God's creation of the earth when it was in initial stages of formlessness and darkness. So he uses some of the language here of creation to make his point. From the beginning, God knew David, created him, and ordained all the days of his life from beginning to end. So with these confessions of truth in mind, David finishes the psalm with a prayer of cursing for his enemies. Now this is born out of a knowledge of God's power and goodness. And that's why he does this. David prays that none would defy this God because of the presence of enemies seems to blunt the truth and beauty of God's presence and action in the world. It seems to call it into, into question. This request occasioned Israel's prayers during their time when they were surrounded by geopolitical enemies. After all, the kingdom of Israel was the kingdom of God on earth. The church today still prays in this way, but doesn't pray in this way against geopolitical enemies. The church prays against spiritual enemies, against the kingdom of Satan, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And because of Christ's finished work, the devil's doom is sure. Now, to be honest, David's confession of God's knowledge for his comfort may seem to ring hollow for you. David was God's ordained king, and God would fight on his and Israel's behalf, destroying their enemies. No question. But what about your situation? You have difficulties in life, but you're not King David. Nevertheless, David's words became scripture and fall into the context of the canon of scriptures, which make it plain that God's knowledge is timeless and applies to you too. In other words, David, even if it's King David... He doesn't speak just for himself. He speaks as a prophet of God to you today. That's an incredible thing about the Old Testament. It is heard as a voice of Christ to give you comfort. And actually, your life is not that far removed from David's. Often people like David would have struggles of the soul that are similar to your struggles. And one of the greatest struggles is not knowing the future when you're facing trials. It just goes without question. This is a great struggle. For instance, you may be prone to worry about the pending uh, medical tests or the future of your kids. The test of faith for you is trusting that God knows the situation and the future results of that situation. In such cases, you may be very prone to trust in yourself 
or in others or in other things to help you. In a word, you're prone to idolatry. Idolatry, in part, is trusting someone or something for comfort. And this is just the way you are bent. Because of your sin, it's usually God is the last person you go to to find comfort. You find comfort in yourself, in something else, in someone else that will help you out. That's idolatry. So in such cases, it's helpful to hear how God regards idols. In Isaiah 41, God mocks the knowledge of idols. He says this, Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. The idols Israel were trusting in don't know the things to come like God does. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Therefore, God taunts the idols themselves. He says, show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Your supposed supports and foundations and idols and things and people have no foundation at all. Your only foundation for comfort is the knowledge of the great God. In Isaiah 6, uh, 46, it is said that God declares the end from the beginning. God declares the end from the beginning. God can do this because He knows a person's intentions, decisions, and actions. So brothers and sisters, it is this kind of knowledge that gives you confidence that whatever happens now and in the future is the will of God. There are no accidents. There are no slip-ups with God. Not one. Not even the smallest thing that happens in your life is outside the knowledge of God, which means it's in the control of God. Not one thing. If it is the will of God, then there's nothing you can do. And there's nothing to fear because God ordains just the right things. Whatever my God ordains is right, we sing. So consider how you know things in comparison to how God knows things. This is very helpful because, again, what we do is we impute to God the way we are. We can't do that. Now, you know events only as they occur or have occurred, right? You can only think about things in that way and adjust your thoughts and behavior accordingly. When you think and plan for the future, you can only estimate what will happen and sometimes you just guess what happens. Your planning can be reasonable, but it's still just a plan until the actual time comes to execute your actions. But consider the fact that God never estimates or guesses. God, we hear about the plans of God. It isn't like God says, let me think through this and figure it out, and then I'll plan and execute. God doesn't need to do that, right? God knows everything before it exists. God knows all that happens before it happens. Again, Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on your tongue, God knows it all together. Isaiah 46.10 God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
God doesn't need needs never to adjust his plans. Daniel 2.22 God reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light indwells him. All this to say, God doesn't need to figure things out, plan and execute. As one person says, God knows all things instantaneously, simultaneously, from eternity, all things are eternally present to his mind's eye. You can't find comfort in a God who has the same capacity as you. It's an amazing consequence of human sin. But we wish to have a God who is like us. That is, that would let sin go, that would give us what we want. And we think that's best, but that's the worst thing. You don't want a God like you. You want a God who's completely unlike you. That's somebody who can help you. I mean, kids, think of it this way. If you're struggling with a problem, perhaps it's in, I don't know, homework, you don't want to go to another kid who's in the class and knows just as much as you. Who do you go to? You go to maybe, I don't know, a smarter kid or an older kid or your parents. You go to somebody who knows more than you do. That's just a very small example of the comfort you can find in God. Go to Him in prayer, Him who knows all things, who doesn't even have to figure out homework. He created it. I don't blame Him for your homework. But you see what I say. It's that God is in control of all things. Nothing surprises Him. Your God, Yahweh, knows all things perfectly, which means that He is in control of all things and will bring all things to a perfect end. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, In Him you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Finally, while you can find great comfort in the all-knowing God, you can also find many disturbing questions. Since God knows all things, that means He ordains or orders all events before they happen. After all, if He knows what will happen, absolutely, the events in the future cannot change. And if that is true, then what does it mean for me to act freely, you ask? You ask, where is my responsibility? How about another actions, another's actions uh, that are evil and affect me? Now, of course, these are questions that have kept uh, theologians and philosophers very busy for years and years and years. Well, the simple answer is that God ordains all things that come to pass, and people are completely responsible for their own actions. This is not a contradiction. It is a truth taught in the scriptures. And one of the clearest examples of this is Peter's uh, sermon to the Jews in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, did God ordain that men would crucify, these men would crucify Christ? Yes.
But were these men fully responsible for their actions? Absolutely. Is there any contradiction in God here? No. Here, God is not concerned to defend himself, but rather reveals how he acts among fallen men in a fallen world. God is completely in control, while men continue to choose good or evil. But God brings all things to a proper end for his glory. That's all you need to know. And so this sermon would help a lot of those philosophers who occupy themselves over and over again with this question. You can only go so far. You can only go as far as God has revealed in His Word about this issue, which is a hard issue. But God is very clear about it. He ordains actions, yet people are responsible for those very actions. But because God is perfectly good, you can take comfort in knowing that whatever happens is God's will. And Peter's speech is also instructive for your comfort on a much deeper level. God is not concerned to tell you why everything happens. He does not need to explain to you why you struggle with trials and temptations in this life. And he doesn't. Even David did not know the reason for all the events that occurred in his life. But that is why God puts a priority on faith. On things unseen and not understood comprehensively. Which includes God in his perfect ways. Not even David understood God completely, not even close. David did not understand why everything happened in his life. Your faith is strengthened in what God has revealed very clearly, the life and work of Jesus Christ. That is why, or rather, that is what Peter preached about to the Jews. They, like you, had many questions, but the answer they got was found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the express image of God. He reveals God and His ways, just enough for you to live in this world. In Him you will find more than you need to know, now and forevermore. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, there are many things that trouble us in this life, many questions we have, especially about the future. But your comfort is found in Christ. God doesn't care to give you all the answers of the future. No, He could have done that. There are ways in which He could have revealed to you everything that will happen in your future. All the bends in the road, the whole thing. But God doesn't do that. Rather, He says, I've given you faith as a gift, and I've given you my Christ. You flee to Christ. In Him you find that comfort. And for that we rejoice. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.